Shall we pray? Lord, we come before you this morning knowing that you are very great, far greater than we can imagine. We come before you this morning thankful for the privilege of looking into your precious word, which is the only wisdom that we have. We have been indoctrinated, steeped, soaked in the wisdom of this world, and your word tells us that the wisdom of this world is foolishness. I pray that we use this time to open our eyes to how foolish we are and how wonderfully wise you are. Thank you, Lord. I'd like to start off by asking if anyone can tell me what is the everlasting gospel? Pardon? Can, can you just tell me the everlasting gospel in ten words? Okay, well, let's turn to Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 and 7. I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, and here he tells us, the everlasting gospel. Fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. Now, there are two aspects to the everlasting gospel. The first is fear God because his judgment is coming. And the second part of this everlasting gospel is the justification for why he has the right to judge. He made everything. He made the heavens, the earth, the sea, everything in them, right down to the little details of the springs of water. And he made us. And as our creator, he has the right to tell us how we should live our lives and to judge us on whether we've done that, lived according to what he told us or not. Now, there are plenty of people who have never heard the everlasting gospel. I've been to uh, churches, I've listened to a lot of services, and in the last 10 years, I don't think I have had a teaching in any of those churches on God's judgment or on God as the creator. And one would think then, well, if this is only mentioned once in the Bible, then maybe you can understand why people 
can't know it. But Paul is our role model. Here we have someone that Christ himself sent out to preach the gospel, and we have his prime servant, one could say, on Mars Hill. Now, in that sermon, he starts off by pointing out that he came across one of their altars, and he goes into um, quite a few things which really probably are not relevant to us because we don't go and worship idols. And then he gets into the message of his gospel. And he says, God that made the world and everything in it has made from one blood all the nations of men. This great God has created everything. The whole world, right down to little details like the fine dust of man. And he's made all men of one blood, so there's not one single person who is not created by him and therefore subject to his authority. This God now commands that all men everywhere repent. Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness. And that message, it's not being preached. At least I haven't heard it preached in any church I've been in for about the last ten years. Now, not only Paul preached this gospel, we look at what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 5. But I will forewarn you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. And I have come across churches from the Dutch Reformed Church down to the Jehovah's Witnesses, where they say, oh well, God loves us so much, he would never send us to hell. That's not what Jesus said. Now, if we go um, further into what uh, Jesus said, he said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And in, I think, uh, John chapter, John verse five, chapter 5, about verse 36, I think it is, he says, um, if they had believed Moses, they would have believed me, because he wrote of me. But nowadays people don't believe Moses. I've met a lot of theologians. I've talked to a lot of theologians. And the first part of the word of God that they reject and tell us is just Babylonian myths 
that were incorporated by the original Bible writers who didn't know what they were talking about. This Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. And Jesus said, if they don't believe him, they won't believe even though one rose from the dead. Now, if we look at the very first book of Moses, Genesis, the first chapter, the whole first chapter is describing God's creation of the entire universe, the heavens, the earth, the seas, everything in it, including man. Man, the last thing he created. And this is something so important if you look at the next of Moses' books, his book uh, 2, Exodus. We have the laws that God gave to mankind, which he wrote in stone with his own finger, and he gave the reason why he has the right to make these laws. Verse 11, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them. And if that's not enough, we go to his last book, Deuteronomy, and these laws are repeated. Again, it says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. And shortly after that, we read, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me. And always keep all my commandments, that it might be well with them and with their children forever. Well, we can see that God desires to do good to his people. And that means everybody, because he made everyone. But he knows that unless we fear him, we won't bother to keep his commandments. And then it won't go well with us and our children because he is a righteous God. He has told us that the wages of sin is death. He doesn't want us to go there. And the only way we'll go that way is to fear him so much that we will obey his commandments. Everything belongs to him. He created everything. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills and every man anywhere in the world. It all belongs to him. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, says the Lord of hosts. Everything we use in every day of our life, the air we breathe, the resources we use, it all belongs to him. We should be using it the way he wants us 
to use it. The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. The only reason we are living souls is because God breathed the breath of life into us. Now, sometime um, after that, it, we don't know when, but God tells us that when he finished the creation, all was very good. And sometime after that, Lucifer rebelled against him. And since that time, the world has been a spiritual battleground. And we're in the center of that battle. And Lucifer is doing all he can to destroy our faith in God and our, be our belief in him and our obedience to him. And his strategy was and still is to attack the truth of God's word. We see the very first time he arrives on the scene. Now notice he doesn't arrive on the scene like one of these pictures that we see of a, a, a devil with horns and bright red eyes and big teeth. He came as one of the creatures in the garden. The sort of thing you'd expect to see in a garden. And this is the way Satan always works. He will never come to you as an evil-looking creature. From my experience, he very often comes as a very handsome and winsome man or a beautiful and attractive woman. But he can come any way he wants. The Bible tells us he comes as an angel of light. And the first thing he does is he brings into focus the word of God. And he said, has God indeed said that you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You won't need to ask God what you're allowed to do. You will be able to decide for yourself what's right and wrong. You can choose what's good for you. You can choose what's right for you. And Lucifer uses that same ploy today. He brings God's word into question, then persuades people they're clever enough to decide for themselves what's right or wrong, what's good or bad, true or false. So we don't need to rely on the word of God. 
Now, the wisdom of man knows better. Especially when it goes, goes under the impressive name of science. Now, for a brief spell around the time of the Reformation, there was a time when, uh, apart from that time, science has, um, has not submitted itself to the, uh, to the Word of God. At the Reformation, science purposely submitted itself to the Word of God, and it was a Christian pursuit for understanding God's creation. That's how real science started. But then it went back to its old ways. And before the Reformation, we had um, the Renaissance. Now, the Renaissance was a rebirth of interest in the pagan ideas of Greece and Rome. And one would think, well, Secular humanists might be impressed by this, but we find people like Copernicus, a Roman Catholic priest. And he was so intrigued by the pagan ideas of his heroes in Greece that he adopted their ideas instead of the word of God. And he found a, an, an uh, ancient Greek philosopher who proposed that the sun was the center of the universe and not the earth. And he said, oh, what a good idea. The Greeks, Greeks were really clever people, that must be true. And at that time, Aristotle's whole science became so attractive to everybody that it was, Aristotle's science was, um, taught in all the universities, wasn't true. And Galileo, who had started doing science in the Christian uh, method, using the scientific method, he very quickly found that um, Aristotle was all wrong in his science. And he wanted to prove that Aristotle was wrong, and he was a very good debater, and he prided himself on how he could crush his enemies, and he realized that Copernicus's idea of the sun being the center <coughs> went against what Aristotle said. So he put it forward and said, look, this shows Aristotle's wrong. And... Um, And to do that, he, uh, he knew perfectly well it was against what the Bible says. And he made the famous statement, in matters concerning the natural sciences, the holy writ must occupy the last place. Now, before, among any people calling themselves Christians, the whole of, Christ, of uh, Christendom, had accepted the word of God as the truth. Now, though, the scientists know better. So when it comes to science, the scientists know better. And that started 
creeping into the whole of um, knowledge. Now, James Hutton was a geologist, and until his time, <coughs> everybody had accepted the age of the earth, which is clearly shown in the Bible, something like 600 years. The Bible doesn't say exactly how old it is, but it gives information from which you can see that it has to be uh, a bit over 6,000 years, maybe up to seven, but no older than that. But Hutton started saying, oh no, the earth's much, much older than that. Not all that many people believed him, but along came one of his disciples, a man called Charles Lyle. Now, Lyle was a Whig. There were two parties in England at that time, and the Tories were in power, and the Tories at least claimed that their highest authority was the Bible. And there were laws that they maintained and would not change because they were convinced that this is what the Bible said. Now, the Whigs wanted those laws changed, and the Tories said, well, look, we want to be on God's right hand, uh, the sheep that he is going to save, and so we will not go away from his law. And the Whigs said they were quite happy to be on God's left hand, like the sheep, and so the, their stand became known as left wing. Anti-scriptural, quite happy to go to hell because there wasn't a hell to go to. That's just a figment of the Christian's imagination. <coughs> now, Whig was a, um, Lyle was a uh, skillful lawyer, and he realized that here was a way to show the Bible's not true, and if the Bible's not true, then you can't base laws on what he says because he's got no authority. And um, he decided he would prove the earth is old. And um, he put forward clever arguments. They were very much uh, suspect, but science was full of people who really didn't want to believe the Bible. And when he put forward arguments which made it seem reasonable that the earth was much older than the Bible could make it, they said, oh, yes. And Charles Darwin, who was also a Whig, he worked together with Charles Lyle, and he built on Lyle's long time scale to say, well, with all these years available to us, Evolution can take place. We can't see it happening, but with all those millions of years, it could happen very slowly just by natural selection. And the world being full of people who wanted to free themselves from having to believe that uh, God is the judge and he will judge them, they said, hey, yes, this is a great idea. And one of those people who thought it was a great idea was Karl Marx. 
He was a God-hater, and he wanted to create a political system and a society based on atheism, the first such society in the whole of history. And he claimed that Darwin's origin of species was the scientific justification for communism. And Marx wanted to dedicate Das Kapital to Charles Darwin. But Darwin's wife wouldn't have it. She was a Christian, and she refused to allow that to happen. Now, Darwin, in turn, actually wanted to dedicate his book, The Origin of Species, to Charles Lyle. But Lyle said, hey, wait a minute, don't do that. We mustn't be seen to be working together. <clears throat> so he didn't dedicate it to Lyle. But they were working together against the Bible. Now, Engels was another of the founder, founders of communism. And he said, there is no place for a creator or a ruler. And evolution was the ideal way to deny this creator or ruler. Now, then we come to astronomy, and for a long time, astronomy carried on being very much like what the Bible had talked about. They had switched the sun as the center instead of the earth, but apart from that, it was the same sort of creation. You look out of the sky and you can, that's, you can see it. It's immense, but you know, there's, it's, it's understandable. But Harlow Shapley came along with this new view of the universe that is incredibly huge. And the Earth, well, it is so insignificant, it is a tiny dot in the universe. It's a tiny dot among thousands of billions of stars and galaxies. And even if there was a God, he wouldn't know where to find the Earth. It's lost in space. <clears throat> and his most famous uh, disciple, one of his most famous, well, his most famous research student by far, was Carl Sagan. And Carl Sagan was a very skillful orator and uh, um, a, a, a good author and speaker. And he pot popularized Chaplin's billions of years and this enormous universe where the tiny Earth is lost in the vastness of space where God could never find it, even if he existed. <clears throat> and Sagan's television series, Cosmos, which promoted this and poured absolute scorn on the universe of the Bible, became a a hit worldwide, and he became the world's authority in what the universe is really like. And he pointed out that man is the highest evolved creature in the universe. Man is the highest intelligence. He's the only one who can work things out. And if you want to know what the universe is like, well, we are the only people who can tell you. Now, after Sagan's uh, series, Cosmos, 
All the other disciplines in science, they took the attitude, well, look, the Bible has been shown to be utter and complete rubbish, and a wave of scientists arose, like Richard Dawkins, and it appears that Dawkins and people like him had the missionary zeal and the goal of dethroning the whole idea of God and turning Christians to see the reality of their view that man is the top authority. And this Richard Daw Dawkins, he's a professor at uh, Oxford, professor of <coughs> uh, a branch of biology, and he made it his aim to convert any student who came to Oxford into an unbeliever, and he was unbel uh, amazingly successful. He has turned thousands of people, especially students, away from the gospel, and he has written books. Now, he wrote some science books. I've got the one that he considers the highlight of his life's work. It's pathetic, and his science books didn't work, but his anti-God books have sold like hot cakes, and he's a multimillionaire from the royalties on his books. And one of them, the God delusion, he says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. So, the Bible? Well, that is fiction for the gullible and stupid people who, uh, who are stupid enough to believe it. And this attitude is, is there in all the uh, universities, especially the big universities. And the aim of the people in these universities, not only in science, but in all the disciplines, is to turn people away from believing the Bible or to believe that it's just a load of myths and fairy stories and to turn people into secular humanists. And they are extremely successful. After all, if science has proved the Bible is not tenable, it's not tenable in anything it says. Now, there have been a few scientists, like Hugh Ross, who have attempted to defend Christianity. But they haven't attempted to do it by saying, oh, science is all wrong. What they have done, like Hugh Ross, is to bring up clever reasoning to show that, well, the Bible can be interpreted so that it incorporates the wisdom of man. And all these things which are totally incompatible with the Bible. Well, you can interpret the Bible in such a way that they do fit. And Hugh Ross is looked upon as the man with the answers by many, many Christians who want to carry on believing in Christianity. But, well, you know, they believe what the wisdom of this world says. But you can incorporate the wisdom of this world into science after all. <laughs>
And then another very famous, influential scientist who is also an Anglican priest and therefore a spokesman for Christianity. He's called John Polkinghorn. And he's written books on uh, physics because he's a physicist. And he puts forward a view that, well, look, we can accept everything the scientists say. Everything the scientists say is true. But science deals with the physical existence and the Bible deals with spiritual matters. That's all. It deals with spiritual matters. And if you're dealing with spiritual matters, the Bible's the way to go. If you're dealing with physical matters, well, yes, you accept what science says. Well, if we look and compare what the Bible says and what the wisdom of this world says, for example, in the Word of God, the whole creation, everything we can see, the whole of reality, it's a result of six days of creation. According to the wisdom of man, there was a big bang where something exploded into everything and then billions of years of random collisions between these particles produce, uh, produced the universe and then millions of years of evolution finished off the creation to what we have now. How can this fit in with Polkinghorn saying, well, the Bible deals with physical reality, Uh, sorry, the Bible doesn't deal with spiritual reality. It only deals with spiritual matters. And the Word of God says the geology we have on the earth today, the way things are, it's the result of a catastrophic destruction in Noah's flood. Whereas the wisdom of man says there wasn't a flood. There were billions of years of the same old, same old, laying down matter millimeter by millimeter. How can those be one is spiritually true and one is really true? And it's not only matter scientific which have now been uh, dis dismissed because the Bible's wrong about science. It's wrong about everything. Look at the word of God. It says marriage is a God-ordained relationship between one man and one woman, and it's permanent. That's why Jesus said, what, jo what God has joined, let man not put asunder. This is a God-ordained institution, and it's permanent. The wisdom of man, what do we find today? Well, marriage is a contract. And like all contracts, it's drawn up by man, it's his idea, and it has no more significance than any other contract. The Bible says marriage is honorable among all, and the marriage bed is undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Now, that used to be pretty well accepted everywhere up to about 30 or 40 years ago and now it's firmly established marriage is optional and it's flexible it doesn't even have to be between a man and a woman and extramarital sex is fine preferably it should be protected with a condom but there's nothing at all wrong with it 
The word of God says the head of every man is Christ. And the head of the woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Today, that is despicable patriarchy. It must be done away with and it should be outlawed. Well, we look at what's accepted today about gender relationships, total gender equality. Now, this only came in about 30 to 40 years ago. Until that time, everybody everywhere had accepted men and women are different. They have different roles. Now, total gender equality. No preferred role of either gender in society. And every single job that's available in the market, there should be an equal number of women and men. There should be no distinction. And in order for this to happen, the traditional role of women, which is obviously what they were designed for, the raising of children, now it is not a noble calling. It is a undesirable imposition, preventing women from meet, reaching their full potential. It's not critically important and it can be left to paid childminders and government-sanctioned teachers. Well, the fact that this total gender equality is not true is even recognized by the, the secular humanists, even the feminists. Now, there's a feminist mathematician called Cleo Cresswell, and she produced a presentation, The Mathematics of Sex, um, and she puts forward the equations that her university has worked out as describing what happens in a woman's body, and you can see it's one big equation. You look at uh, the men's hormone equation, it's lots of little bits, lots of individual uh, cycles, most of them are very short-term, overlapping or following each other, but it's very, very different. Now, that women's hormone equation is the equation of the menstrual cycle. Man has no equivalent of the menstrual cycle. And just looking at these two sets of equations, you can see women and men were obviously designed for different functions. Now, that has been recognized by society all over the world, from the most primitive to the most advanced, until about 30 or 40 years ago. And it's just so obviously true. One wonders, how can this have happened? Well, the reason is, everybody has been persuaded that science has proved the whole Bible to be wrong, so everything the Bible says must be wrong. It goes further than that. Homosexuality is an abomination, according to the Bible. It's a valid alternative lifestyle, according to the wisdom of this man. The only way to cleanse the land, of uh, the, the land of murder is the execution of the murderer. Again, accepted worldwide until recently. Now, capital punishment is an unacceptable infringement of the murderer's human rights. The Bible, naughty children must be spanked. 
People have realized that throughout the whole of history. But today, disciplining of children would be would harm them. It would be against their ch- human rights, and it's not allowed. And you can go to jail if you discipline your children. The shedding of innocent blood is abomination, but not today. Innocent unborn babies can be killed for any excuse at the taxpayer's expense. How did this madness happen? Because there's no fear of judgment. God has been dethroned from being the creator and therefore of any value at all. Why? There is no acknowledgement of a creator. And not even the churches these days are affirming that. They seem to have been so indoctrinated that the humanist manifesto seems to be more reasonable to them than the word of God. And nobody is preaching anymore the eternal gospel. Instead, we have wishy-washy substitutes where God wouldn't condemn anyone to hell, no matter how evil they are. God loves us all so much. He wouldn't do that. Well, that's not what the Bible says. So it's not true, but even the churches are believing it.